0: Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome. This is uh, our roundtable that we do um, um, every three months or so here on Sunday nights. And um, in case you're new to that, what this is, it's kind of like a panel where we bring together scholars, experts, and Kyle to talk about some of the things in the Bible. Man, I wanted to keep a straight face on that so badly. Um, But really excited because uh, the topic here of our roundtable for uh, Sunday nights throughout this month, April and May, will be Luke's Urgent Care. And what I love about uh, Luke's Gospel account is it can pack a punch in just a few verses. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, Every one of our studies will be consisting of four verses or less. Pretty neat. Um, However... If you've ever seen that like game show, Wipeout, where folks are like jumping on water trampolines and they get sent all over the place, very often those four verses may be a springboard to something else, and we might get sent in who knows what direction, um, but it's going to be an exciting, engaging study in the New Testament, Jesus' ministry, some of the things that he teaches, and so really excited to look at that uh, with you. Uh, guys, this wasn't a plain question, favorite gospel account. One word answer favorite gospel account what you got Matthew Mark Luke or John
1: John followed closely by Luke okay
2: Actually I like Mark
1: Mark yeah, Matthew
0: Matthew Well there you go Well there you go Well since I was the one to propose this study I think you can probably guess what my favorite is and that's Luke and so excited to look at it with you tonight Without further ado let's jump to Luke chapter 21 Luke chapter 21, and we'll look at the first four verses there, uh, what's often called the widow's offering, uh, which can also be found in Mark's gospel account. Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So question one, um, before we, we dive into maybe application of this text. Uh, just background info, maybe something that would help a context to it that would help it just stand out a little bit more, something we may not be thinking about, or just any historical information that would be useful.
2: I'll I'll start by mentioning the widow here. This this is the seventh widow mentioned by Luke in his gospel. He has an affinity uh, for women in general, but for widows as well. And in that situation, in that time period, uh, if you were a widow, you were pretty much destitute because you no longer had a source of income through your husband, particularly if you were, had no children to help take care of you either. I mean, think about it this way. When you get into the epistles, there's going to be a lot of instructions about caring for widows because they find themselves in an impoverished situation. And so in, in this scenario, in this setting, we have a, a woman who is a widow, but more importantly, that definitively means that she is impoverished.
1: I want to build off of that comment. Not not only is uh, the book of Luke primarily about, uh, or significantly about widows, it's really about all of the outcasts Mm -hmm. of society at the time. Uh, In in one of my classes, we we talked about uh, the different themes for each gospel book and how each gospel book has a different theme or a different way to portray Jesus. And the book of Luke portrays Jesus as this savior to humanity, savior to the outcasts of society. in, in the book of Luke, you're going to find way more examples of, of widows, of women, of uh, the, the poor and of the destitute in society. Uh, instead of spending uh, so much of his time focused on Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees or some of the religious leaders, uh, it focuses on Jesus' time uh, ministering, dining, and conversing with the spiritually, uh, physically, and socially destitute. Um, he consumes his time in the book of Luke uh, focusing on these outcasts of society. Uh, We've named some of them the poor, the Samaritans, the lepers, publicans and tax collectors, women. Uh, I have a few examples of this. Jesus, instead of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, like he does in Matthew, in the book of Luke, he just says, blessed are the poor. Uh, Almost a completely different message between those two different things, or a different way to look at it, or different things to think about when you hear that, Uh, you see certain stories in the book of Luke that you don't find in any other gospel. You're going to see the story of the Good Samaritan that's not found in any other gospel. You're going to see the story of the the Pharisee and the publican, where the publican is seen as the hero of that story. You're going to see uh, the birth narratives. Uh, The birth narratives are written uh, from different points of view, from women's points of view. Uh, you're going to see the genealogy is through uh, the, the mother, Mary, not through the father, Joseph. You're going to see certain instances throughout the book of Luke that are a little bit different. You're going to see the story of Zacchaeus. You're going to see the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You're going to see certain stories that seem to uh, make heroes out of the absolute outcasts of society at the time. And this is one of the ways that Jesus is portrayed as that savior to humanity. And even though Mark includes the story we're looking at tonight, uh, I think that the story we're looking at tonight further proves that, that thought, that Jesus cared about the outcasts of society like widows, like, like Kyle was describing. Uh, and I, I think it's no coincidence where Luke puts this story of the widow within the text within uh, the the text of Luke. Right before it, he is talking about who? He's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, and and, and what they were all about and how they were devouring widows' houses. And then right after verse 4, you're going to see him go right back to the temple, which was the, the visual representation of the religious elite at the time. And so right here in the middle, juxtaposed in between those two different ideas is this heroic widow who had nothing to give but two little bitty mites I think it's amazing how Luke does that and just the whole gospel of Luke in general with that focus on Jesus
3: while Luke uh, presents Jesus as the Savior of you the know, downcast poor people and women with minorities of the society, uh, he really emphasizes on the attitude toward wealth, earthly wealth in the book of Luke. So we can uh, find very uh, unique parables here in, in the book of Luke, the rich fool, and the rich man and Lazarus, and also this story, the, uh, the contribution of the poor widow uh, they are, you know, unique in this book. Uh, while the Luke is emphasizing the attitude, the right attitude toward worth, and Luke uses that as a kind of pointer t- uh, to the hypocrisy of those who do not have the right attitude to worth, like scribes uh, that we will discuss uh, later. So we have to have in mind the hypocrisy that Jesus is looking at from the, you know, scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders and and rich men in that society uh, that Jesus is contrasting between the hypocrisy of those people and people who are poor, downcast, and lowly in that society that what attitude we have to have. So that's the kind of way that Luke repre- I mean, presents uh, his idea. I mean, Jesus teaching, actually. Jesus teaching to us.
0: Good thought. And just, just kind of one other thing to add that stood out to me is just two or three days after this, Jesus is going to the cross, and he's sitting there and points to her. It like, int- seems to be sitting intentionally waiting for that example, a teaching moment to his disciples. To say, this is how you're to give. So just pretty awesome when we consider that. Oh, so one of the things he does is he talks about the rich, and he says that they contribute out of their abundance. Out of their abundance. Um, what, what, what do you think about the, that wording of Jesus, and, and why do we struggle to give more, uh, guys? What do you think?
2: Well, out of abundance to me means out of their overflow, out of the extra they have. That they're they're not giving in such a way that it hurts. It's it's not, they're giving because oh I've got extra laying around. I, it's not having to, to come out of my daily living. It's not having to come out of my budget. It's not having to come out of what I need to live on. This is just the extra, and so there's no sacrifice. There's no um, uh, challenge with their giving. They, it doesn't. They don't feel it when they give. That that's how I perceive it, and. um for me, the, one, of the, one of the lessons, because, I mean, we could spend the rest of our time right here talking about the, the reasons we struggle with giving. One of the reasons I think we struggle with, with giving more is because we don't understand contentment. Like, that's a concept that we, we know exists, but we haven't figured it out yet. And contentment is something you have to learn. So, just by definition, contentment it, it simply kind of means satisfaction. It means being satisfied with what you have. And we live in a culture, in a society, in a a world that doesn't believe in contentment for the most part. We we believe in more and gaining more and achieving more and acquiring more. And so contentment is foreign to our culture. And so we we really struggle with the book of Philippians when, when Paul is going to call on us to be a people who who, uh, who are content. And uh, one well-known English author and philosopher once said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. And for most of us, the, the problem lies in that arena of desiring less, learning that, that with God, you have enough. So we get to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And before before Paul addresses a gift the church is, is bringing him that he's, that's helping him during his time of imprisonment, he says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. One of the greatest heroes of faith is saying, I know what it takes to be content because I've been in that position where I've had to learn it. I think one of our great challenges to the reasons we don't give more than we do is because we haven't learned contentment. We haven't learned to be satisfied with what we have and to be good with God is enough. With that, I'll pass it on.
3: Uh, I would like to do uh, just a little bit of uh, word study here, abundance. Uh, it means, the Greek word means surplus, more than enough, or left over. It's interesting that it means left over. And Luke chapter 15 verse 17 when the prodigal son realized that, oh, our, my father had more than enough. and uh, Luke 9, uh, 17 has the word leftover. I mean, after the uh, you know mm, miracle of uh, giving, I mean, feeding 5,000 people, the leftover was 12 baskets. So, leftover. What if we give from leftover? What if we give to God from leftover? What if we entertain or uh, feed people or invite people with our leftover. This morning Lyle interestingly talked about this and in the class and you know we will feel like we are insulted and God will do the same. God will feel the same if we do that. So that's why uh, first, first 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2 says that lay by him in store but on the first day of the week, and give him. So we have to know the priority in our giving. We should not give some from our leftover, because we have more than enough we can give. No, that is not right. That is not the right attitude. But we have to give first to God, and then we may have some leftover that that we can share with others and to use for for us, too. And I think that is very uh, similar idea with loving God. You know, if we love God, we will do the most important things for God first, because we love him. But if we love the earthly words, if we love the earthly means, then we will do, you know, the most of things that, uh, for those things, and then we will use our time and energy for God. I mean, as left over. So that's what Jesus pointed out in chapter uh, Matthew chapter six verse, uh, chapter six verse twenty four. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. You can serve either God or money. So if we love God truly, then we will give God what we owe to Him first and then we will use the rest for us. So I think uh, the word abundance, we have to keep, it, keep that in mind, that we should not give from our left over.
1: Uh, I just want to build off of what they're talking about. The very fact that he parallels out of their abundance with out of her poverty proves the fact that he's talking about people who were giving. He's talking about these rich people, and y'all, y'all have talked about the leftovers. Really, the biblical way of looking at this is to talk about whether you are or whether you are not giving of the first fruit.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that The first fruit is something we see throughout the Old Testament and how uh, people were supposed to give out of the first fruit and not the leftovers. And as anyone can attest, uh, leftovers, unless it's chicken parmesan, is never as good as the first original dinner. You can ask Jensi if it's leftovers. I, I just, I, 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 mom and daddy tried as hard as they could, but I just, I just can't enjoy leftovers as much as I enjoy the original meal. Uh, that's why they're called leftovers. And you give the leftovers after nobody eats them and the fridge is, is getting a little bit stinky. Who do you give the leftovers to? Come here, doggy. Right? You you throw it at the dog, and the dog, maybe he eats it, maybe he doesn't. But sadly, that's what people do with God. They give God the leftover. What I didn't want to consume anymore, I'll give it to you. I'll give that to you, God. And that's exactly what you see the Pharisees doing here. They They were not giving with purposed hearts. They were not purposing in their hearts. They they were not giving of the first fruit. They were simply giving out of the leftover or out of the abundance. Uh, Just as Mingyu was talking about, these people, these rich people, aren't giving to God out of their love. They're not giving out of the abundance of love that they have for God and and the the love they have for God for their creator and all the things that God has given them. that They weren't giving out of that. They were giving simply out of obligation. And you can see this, by the way, today. If you are someone who is tasked with passing the plates, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but you can definitely tell the difference between someone who has purpose within their heart and someone who is... We got, what do we got, what we got? 20 will do. And that's what they give. And whereas, you know, if, if you, if you, if $20 is truly what you can give, that's what God expects. That's what God wants. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if we're giving to the first fruits out of all that we make, but before we give it, to Washington. If we're going to give God the first fruit, there's just no way that we can look at ourselves and and say that whatever we can find in our wallet left over at the end of the week is what God deserves. And so what what we learn from this is is a very powerful message. And I, I know, after living as long as I have, not as long as some of you, but I know That when we study giving, that is the number one thing y'all don't want to listen to. Why? Because everything else is just almost hypothetical or almost uh, uh, anecdotal. But when we start talking about your wallet, that's when it's like the classic, you done gone from preaching to meddling, preacher, right? We hear that all the time. But the fact of the matter is, we have a giving problem. It don't matter what congregation you are, it don't matter where you are, we have a giving problem, especially in America. And why that is is exactly what, what Kyle's talking about. We refuse to be content. We refuse to be content. There's almost in the fabric of being an American this idea that I, this capitalist idea that that I deserve the things that I have. I have worked for the things that I have, I have progressed up some sort of ladder for the things that I have, and so I deserve to get what I want when I want to get it. But the fact of the matter is, if you are a Christian, you should understand that every single thing that you have is from God, and God alone. And so when you simply not only not understand that everything you have is from God, but you're going to give him the leftover that you're going to throw away tomorrow anyway, on a stick of gum, you can have my gum money. Simply, I think we have missed the point of giving. And we have to truly examine ourselves. We have to examine our hearts as to whether we are faithful anymore. When we, when we are out of balance and simply refuse to understand what God has given us, How can we even call ourselves Christians?
0: Uh, So, on the other hand, we then have the widow, and uh, Jesus notes that she gave all that she had to live on. Um, And so, I'll let let y'all talk about that wording and what Jesus says. Uh, I think maybe the ideas of faith and sacrifice and giving, maybe... Uh, weave through this and maybe other virtues. Um, So what do you think about the widow now as we turn our attention to her as exemplary?
1: Well, I love the wording of the question itself when we think about sacrifice Uh, because I think when it comes to our giving, we don't think about sacrifice enough. We don't think about how our giving should be sacrificial. Our giving should be a sacrifice and that's because we, many of us are not giving in a way that could be called sacrifice. We're giving in the way that I was showing a little bit earlier. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, it tells us not to give grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, right? And so some of us read that passage, we're not supposed to give grudgingly. So the only way I'm going to give grudgingly is if I give a lot of money. So I, I just won't give enough money to make myself grudge it begrudging. I don't know the wording there. And so we take that verse, but what that verse, that, that, that verse is not saying that our giving should not hurt. I think, Kyle, you were just saying that, about how our giving should hurt. It should hurt a little bit. If you aren't hurt when you give that money and you think about all the different things you could have done with that money, then you aren't giving enough. Giving shouldn't be grudging we shouldn't begrudge our giving, but our giving should be sacrificial. And that's exactly what we see from this widow. Let me ask you something. Do you all think this widow just blindly threw in the two mites without thinking about it? Do you, do you think that the, the, the widow just, just threw that in knowing that this was all that she had in the world to her name? That she just threw it in there without thinking about it? No. The widow didn't just throw that in there without thinking about the ramifications of such a decision. No one would. No one would give every dime that they had to their name without thinking about the ramifications or the consequences of that decision. But that's what makes the story of the widow amazing. It isn't that she just blindly gave without meditating on it. What makes the story of the widow so amazing is the fact that she knew this was all that she had. She knew and made a conscious decision to give it to God anyway. She gave it to God anyway. That's what makes the story of the widow so amazing and and what challenges us as we think about our giving.
3: Uh, Hear the word. Um, She gave her whole life or life here so the words means life or living when as I looked up the Greek word is it, it stunned me and I was so surprised that what he gave what she gave was just not money was her life and some commentators said that it means living means or you know living expenditure things like that but 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 the word says life. She gave life, and we have another uh, a scripture, and uh, who said? I mean, which says this? The Macedonian Christians gave themselves first, and gave money too. And, and we are so familiar with a verse in the Bible. We all probably, we, most of us, memorize the verse. Romans chapter twelve, verse one. What should we give? Us. Our body. as a living sacrifice. Holy living sacrifice. So that's what God wants us to give. That's what God requires us to give. And she gave it. She gave the life. So she... Because she gave her life, the two cup of, cup of coins didn't matter. She could have given one cup of coin, sparing one into her pocket, in a pocket. but she gave two cup of coins. I mean the scripture is amazing. Why? Why Scripture used two cup of coins instead of one cup of coin? She could have given one, but she gave two all she had because she was investing her life into God and she was testing God. Okay, I will give my life to him, and I will see what he will do to me. Malachi chapter three verse ten. Test me, and feed my—I mean—I mean—fill my house, and see what I will do. She was doing it, and also probably she was already listening to Jesus when he when Jesus preached about lay up your treasures in heaven. So she is following Jesus' teaching. She took it in herself, and she was living it out. Okay? I believe in Jesus. I will trust in God, and I will put everything that I have into him. Then I will see what he will do to me. So the other thing that I am seeing here from her is the boldness, bold faith. Not just faith. Faith. Bold faith. Do we trust in God like that? I, I thought of myself a lot while I was preparing this lesson. We have to. Do we have the boldness, bold faith in God? He is faithful God. He is our loving Father. He, he is the only one we can trust wholly, fully, entirely putting ourselves, putting our life into his hands.
0: So, uh, Mingu was just mentioning the Macedonians in Second Corinthians 8, and we have the widow here. Uh, seems like lots of unlikely givers show up in the Bible, but also in our lives. Um, kind of, I, I phrased the question as the giving hall of fame. Um, I didn't know... A, Kyle, we'll start with you. Is there any, anybody that stands out to you, maybe Bible-wise or in your life?
2: Yeah, so uh, I started thinking about what's the one thing I struggle with giving the most. Uh, obviously, financially, it can be very hard to give financially, but I started to realize one area where I, I'm really a bad giver is time. I mean, there, you have a few different resources that you can give. Time is the one resource that's always capped. You you can't add to your time. You can't make more time, and so it's the one resource that that always has a a, a finite amount available for you to use. And then start thinking about Jesus. So Jesus, in one occasion, in Mark chapter five, he has encountered a guy named Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. He's got uh, someone in his family who is ill, and Jesus has agreed to go to his house to. Uh, deal with that illness on the way this woman interrupts them she appears out of nowhere she's got it in her head that as long as i can touch his clothes i'll be healed and and she causes this big scene unintentionally and it totally interrupts the plan the plan is to go to jairus's house to heal the sick and be done but her interruption actually delays them to the point that the individual passes away and Jesus doesn't get upset. The interruption of his time did not bother Jesus. He was willing to give up that finite resource without it angering him, without it distracting him, without it... Frustrating him. And I sit there and think to myself, how many times does somebody interrupt me? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> How many times does somebody interrupt me and I'm just like, come on. I need this time. I need to be doing this, not that. And yet my Lord never got bothered when his time got interrupted. He'd be resting in a boat, and his disciples would interrupt his much-needed nap because they think they're going to die. He would, uh, he would be off praying early in the morning hours, woke up from sleeping to go spend some time with the Lord, and they would come interrupt him and say, Hey, there are people wanting to be healed. He wouldn't get upset. He'd go to a wedding, and his mom would say, Hey, you've got to fix this. And he didn't get angry. The one finite resource my Lord had, and he had less of it than I do. He was willing to give it. Interruptions and all. And so when I think about the Giving Hall of Fame, I took it and went a different direction. And thought about the one resource that I get the most offended at having to give up. And realized even my Lord was willing to give that resource without qualification without frustration, just unconditionally. And so, my giving hall of fame goes to Jesus.
1: Well, I would hate to follow that up with anyone less than Jesus. Um, (laughs) But, so I will just say the Godhead in general. Uh, No, but seriously, that's what I want to talk about. Um, Because, you know, Craig, there's so many people in my life, people that come to my mind, uh, that have supported me, have, have helped me financially, have helped Jensie and I in our, in our uh, young marriage and becoming parents and different things like that. I mean, this congregation has thrown two showers for us, a uh, wedding shower and a baby shower, and, and we have people that help us financially and support us financially, and, 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 it, and you see examples of people all throughout the church, no matter what congregation you are in, being the widow. In their life. And so there are plenty of examples that come to mind. But when it comes to your question, when you think about someone who is truly an unlikely giver, it is God Himself. The fact that God would give me anything is the most unlikely scenario I can imagine. Um, Every single one of us have the most unlikely giver in common, and his name is God. God, not only does he just not give me just barely something, God gave me everything. God gave me every single thing that he had. Not only does he give us some things, he gives us everything. In a big sense, God is the widow. God is the widow who gave everything that he had for us. He poured himself out completely. He gave us his only son. He gave his son's life, and he gives each and every one of us breath each day. So when I think about the most unlikely giver, it has to be God and I, I know that that's just the preacher answer but it's true and so when I think about my giving if I put anyone else as my measuring stick then I can attain that and so there will come a point in my life where I get to let's just think of somebody that's given you a lot I think about so many people in my life that have given me a lot of different of, of blessings. And if I have them as my measuring stick, there will come a day where I may be able to reach their level of giving. And I can say to myself, I have made it. I, I have reached the goal for which I was aspiring to become. I have become just like Blake. But you know what never will happen? if you put God as your measuring stick, you'll never get to the day where you're satisfied with your giving. Because every single day of the week, God gave more. And so when I think about our giving, I I think sometimes we do have a wrong standard. We put the wrong measuring stick up. We do look at individuals and say, man, if, if I could just give like they do, When in reality, God has to be our measuring stick. God has to be the standard upon which we compare our giving. Because if we do that, we will never stop growing in our giving.
3: I thought of uh, Barnabas in the first century church. He sold his property and put it the, the prize before you know, apostles that uh, the church can provide the need of the needy. And when I come to the church, always, as almost always, I think, you know, oh, how much money do we need? How much money is being needed? I mean, being used for this church, I mean, for our work, for our ministries. But it is applied, and I'm not. Like Barnabas, you know, <laughs> but I believe, and I overheard, I mean, I don't know about the finance. i'm not I'm not in charge of that. I, I don't I don't know about that of this. but I know that it is it is, I mean this our congregation is being used, uh, I mean, having uh, I mean you are using uh, the money for the right reasons, for the right purposes but there are Barnabas in our congregation. I believe with all my heart. I overheard, I mean, I I can't name them, but we have Barnabas. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. I mean, I can be Barnabas. You can be Barnabas for our congregation. And it's a glory. It's an honor if we can do that.
0: Um, so, uh, guys, I think we'll just we'll wrap up. I kinda, I'll share what our last question was, and I would like it to be a question of reflection for everybody here and just understanding something that was brought up earlier, and that's in chapter 20, verse 47, um, how it's explained in a woe to the scribes about how uh, they devour widows' houses, and then from there we get the story of the widow, and that it's very, very possible that she is one of those who was mistreated and abused, By the so called religious leaders. And yet she still gave. Um, And there may be some of you here today who are hurting um, because you've been mistreated or abused by the church, brothers and sisters, church leaders, ministers, elders, whatever your story might be. I hope this challenges you because it's really easy to use that as an excuse and say, I'm done with the church, I'm done with it all, I'm finished. Um, But here's a woman who would not let it stop her, perhaps, giving to God, giving her all to God. And so I hope that that challenges you. I thank you all for for sharing your thoughts today on the panel. Um, And if there's anyone here, even though we don't have a formal invitation, I think this shares with us that Jesus is always looking. And so if there's anyone here tonight with a need, Maybe it's to res- to respond to the, the gospel invitation, or um, be restored, recommit your life to Christ. If you have a prayer request, anything like that, we'll all be up here at the front. Um, you can see one of us, or see one of our elders, and we would be honored to serve you. Um, so I wanna make sure that invitation is expressed. But we wanna thank you for coming and joining us at Luke's Urgent Care. You know, I, I think it would be really good if we have a follow-up appointment. Um, so if maybe you could come back <laughs> next Sunday at 6 o'clock, we'll see you again for another checkup. Really good, really good to be
2: with two you. Two Sundays.
0: Two Sundays. That's right. I'll be out of the office. We'll all be out of the office now. Um, so yes, in two weeks, let's do this again, if that's okay. Um, let's close with prayer, and, and then we'll be dismissed. Please bow with me. Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, we praise the magnificence of your word. It's a living testimony to the fact that you see what often goes unseen, that you notice the unnoticed, and that you think big things of the little people. At this congregation and in our lives, there are so many who do so much behind the scenes while others take the stage. These are the forgotten, the neglected, the overlooked. We know that you desire for us to give honor to whom it's due, so we seek to do that now. We thank you for the givers, the servants, the tireless workers. Thank you for the encouragers, the dependable, for those who come early and for those who stay late. Thank you for the Caleb's, the Jonathan's, and the Andrew's of today. And we especially thank you for all the women of your church. Your servant Luke seemed so especially aware of their contributions to your son's ministry. Thank you for the wives who respect their husbands and the mothers who love their children. In your own way, let them know that such service is commendable, beautiful, and amazing. We also thank you for the single women and the widows of the church here who fully devote themselves to you in the spirit of Anna, Tabitha, and Lydia. Please grant unto them the assurance that you love them so very much. And finally, as we leave this place today, may we all be inspired to give more because your son gave all. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.